With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Brandy Beach. She's the CEO and founder of Damascus Edge. Brandy has more than 15 years of experience in information technology consulting and digital marketing, and that experience runs across a very diverse group of industries that range from commercial real estate and telecommunications to finance, insurance, and government agencies. She's also worked with a vast cross-section of companies that range from startup and early growth stage all the way up to Fortune 500 companies. And you're very familiar with some of the companies she's worked with, like Sprint and H&R Block, American Century, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, and, and then just many others, too. But uh, she's valued for her strategic IT and her user experience marketing knowledge and expertise. And she's here today to talk with us about her company and about her entrepreneurial journey. So welcome to the show today, Brandy. Hi, Kelly. Good morning. So so let's talk just a little bit about Damascus Edge for a minute. Uh, tell us a little bit about the company. Well, Damascus Edge was founded on the premise that there are a lot of large corporations and, quite frankly, a lot of startups that have these what they believe to be these brilliant ideas that could sell in the marketplace. And a lot of them end up failing. Well, the part that they're missing in the great idea to the fail is they don't test the marketplace. Go to your customer, see if your customer is willing to buy, if your customer likes the idea. And that's where Damascus Edge came up. And we deal with that on a product uh, mostly digital space product development and technology services as well. Okay. On your website, in fact, it says that you're change makers. What do you mean by that? Well, once we once we get into an organization, we, we tend to partner with them. We don't like to be um, a butt in the seat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. We, we teach them how to fish. So we'll go in there, discuss some of their, their ideas and concepts, determine if they're correct in the marketplace, and we show them how to do this. So going forward, when they have great ideas that they want to get out there, if they want to increase their bell curve, so to speak, um, they can do it themselves. They don't need to call us to do it, but it does take some time. And what we do is we'll pull some people from their organization to run through our process. And our process takes, at least for the first portion of it, can take two to three weeks. So we can pull two to three people out of an organization, run through that process every two to three weeks, drop them back into the organization, and that should help to promote change because now they've seen how you can run fast mm-hmm. and you can run smart. Okay. Why, why did you start the company? What inspired you to begin or launch a company like this? Well, in my, my career, I've had a number of what I felt were great ideas, <laughs> only to find out that, well, no, not so much. I mean, I, I may think it's a great idea and it looks pretty on paper, but you get out into the world and all of a sudden people say, yeah, that is fabulous. I love that. But I'm not going to push the button. Mm. So 
the reason I got into this is because I want to know why people do or don't push a button. And how do we promote the button pushing, so to speak, for great ideas within an organization, not just from the executive level, but from the bottom up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are two uh, pieces of 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 the equation that often stump a new business. And one of them is, I've got a great idea, but then you never act on it. So nothing ever gets off the ground to begin with. And the second is just what you said, that you've got a great idea, but, you know, that idea is not worth a darn thing if nobody's willing to pay you for it. So you fit on that side of the equation where you've got the idea, you've in, you, you're willing to invest the resources and the time into getting it off the ground and marketing it, but again, if there's nobody out there that wants to spend the money or, as you say, push that button, well, it's all for naught, and you're saving people. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, in some ways, you're changing lives because, I mean, I've seen people mortgage homes and, and do all kinds of things to uh, get to market only to find that nobody buys and wants to, Absolutely. to act on it. So so you're you're changing um, court, people's courses that way too. Okay, so what kind of a background? I mean, I know your your own personal frustration with trying to get ideas to market and, and people not pushing the button inspired you to start the business, but what kind of background actually equipped you for starting this kind of company? Well, it wasn't my background necessarily that equipped that. My background mostly in the tech space with some some business development thrown in there. Um, what the, the people that I brought in to help build this out and who have that background in, let's say, on entrepreneurship and corporate innovation. Well, entrepreneurship and corporate innovation are great in a corporation. The problem with that is that they bring in people from that corporation so they're not getting any outside influence there. And the, the gentlemen that, that have founded this with me, I suppose is a good way to put it, who who sparked the idea, so to speak, uh, found this out. They figured this out the hard way by living through it. And so you couple an entrepreneur with corporate intrapreneurs who like the idea of innovation but want to do it right. Mm-hmm. And that's how this, this idea came about. Okay. And how long ago did you uh, found Damascus Edge? How long has it been in business? March of 2015. Okay. So you have a... Uh, two-year anniversary that you just celebrated. Congratulations. Thank you. When you talk about um, some of the the different people that you've brought in, that's another place where entrepreneurs stumble, is that they, especially in the beginning, they want to do it all themselves, and then they have trouble letting go as the company grows. It sounds like you brought in people, you know, you had an idea, but you weren't necessarily the best person to be the only person or sole person driving things. how, how, just what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are in that situation where they might have an idea and yet they can't necessarily um, depend on their own background and experience and skills to carry it out? What, what do you, and, and they're, they're often cash-strapped too. So, so what do you say to those people? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is know your limitations. Understand what gaps you need filled around you and fill those gaps with the right people. And the right people are hard to find. Um, but once you understand where you are, where you, you start and you stop, that's the first step. So where you start and you stop is where you can then surround yourself with the right personalities and the right skill sets of folks. Now, as far as money goes, that's different. That depends on what your idea is. That depends on whether you're going to be a service or a product business. 
who's willing to buy into it. I mean, these are things that we deal with every day from um, more of the established businesses to corporations. You know, what are my what are my great ideas? How much money is that going to take? And that's a huge, huge burden on anywhere from startups to you know Fortune 100 companies. They dump a ton of money into these ideas, take them to market, only to find out that nobody wants to buy. Right. So, so know your audience that you're selling to. Exactly. You, you also, as you're talking about money there, reminded me of something else. I, I was facilitating a panel once, and I asked them how they source ideas within their own companies. You know, what, because these were fairly innovative companies, and, you know, what keeps those creative juices flowing? Uh, how do you source them? And one person responded a little bit differently, and he said, you know what, ideas are a dime a dozen. Anybody can sit and come up with ideas unless you are willing, as part of your strategy, uh, your innovation strategy to put money behind those ideas, then that's that, trying to launch them is just as bad as launching one where the, nobody wants to buy it because you're going to have to uh, have a budget for that. And he says, I've seen so many businesses where uh, we'll stick it out there and we'll kind of bootstrap it, and you know, as people if people buy it, then we can grow it. And I mean, can you speak to to that kind of a strategy or? Do you really do you need to allocate the money to the ideas up front? Well, the way that we run our process is we we want the ideas because what we'll do is we'll go in and assess the ideas based on what we understand to be true in the marketplace, and we typically focus on just in the regulatory industry. So what we tend to know to be true in the marketplace is where we determine whether it could be or is not a viable idea, and does it solve a problem? That's probably the biggest question, does it solve a problem? If we determine that it does solve a problem, then that's when we call it, we spark the idea, where we run it through our three to five week um, program to determine if anybody would buy. And yeah. if at that point, if they decide to buy, then they go into prototype. But it doesn't mean that, that you can't you can't think through or work through an idea or any idea. It doesn't mean it's going to be bad. I mean, who's to say whether your idea is good or bad? All, all we're determining is somebody going to buy it and does it solve a problem. Exactly. What about your own background? You've mentioned that you have a long background in IT. How has that helped you in your current business? I know you said you brought in you brought in other people too, but certainly um, there are pieces of your own background that have really served you well as a business owner. And, and what would those be? Well, I think one of the biggest ones in regards to what we're doing today is that tech, the tech side of the world and the business side of the world do not communicate. In fact, they don't even like each other half the time. And that is a huge, huge problem in a corporation. They dump money left and right uh, not communicating. So you'll have the business that says, this is a great technology. We want this implemented. And then you have the tech side that says, okay, but what do we do with it? We don't have any place to put it, and we don't have the, the people to implement it. So one, one big, um, big change that I think we help with is getting those two to communicate because from the product world and from the idea world, it comes across the organization, and they're forced to work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you've got that IT side of it, and so you can help facilitate there. But it's so true about the two parties not talking. It kind of reminds me of sales and marketing sometimes. Uh, as you've grown Damascus Edge, what has been one of the best resources 
for growing the company. I mean, Kansas City is full of resources. Have you been able to tap into any of them and that have helped you? Um, well, I think thinking bigger is probably <laughs> one of the resources that has helped. There's Thank there's you. a couple of other smaller ones that we've used more in the startup space, but we do, like I said, we focus a lot on the regulatory, and as you can imagine, there's not a lot of help getting your foot in the door in the regulatory world, especially in Kansas City. So yeah, and, a lot of it is, who do you know? Yeah, and although you serve a vast array of, of industries and businesses, your focus, as you say, on the regulatory side, but what, what is your ideal client? Describe that to us. Uh, my ideal client would be healthcare insurance finance. I mean, it really is because we want to make an impact, but we don't want to just make an impact within the organization. We want to make an impact to who they serve. And the people that that they serve are people that can't be without it in some respects. So we want to make and implement and help with those changes to the people that these regulatory businesses serve. Yeah, and, and as you said, those industries are full of regulations. So uh, they're larger clients uh, for the most part, and, and the people that are their customers really depend on them. They can't be without their services. What has been your biggest business challenge, either personally or for the business itself? I think that the biggest challenge is, well, people. So from from vendor partners to people that we bring on as far as headcount goes. I mean, people can make or break an organization, so you've got to be really careful in who you bring in and how, how it is positioned, not yeah. only within your organization but to your clientele. Very true. And how, how, what have been some of your solutions for getting around those types of things? Trial and error. That's pretty yeah. much it. You sound like a lot of other entrepreneurs out there. What has been the biggest surprise, good or bad, that you've discovered as a business owner? Again, this can be about the business or it could be, you know, about you personally as a business owner. You know, I'm not sure that – I've been doing this so long, I'm not sure that I've had any new surprises. Um, it, it's crazy how similar startups are and how similar small businesses are in a lot of ways that, that they're run and a lot of the problems that they face. So if I were to think back over my career, I'm not sure that I could determine even a surprise that way, not at this point. I mean, it's been so long. Yeah, and, and you probably rolled, you know, you, everything just kind of start, keeps rolling together and, and you forget kind of what you didn't know. I, I, I get it. What about yourself? Is there one, you know, has business ownership changed you in any way? Is there something you've learned about yourself because of business ownership that maybe you didn't know prior to? owning a business? You know, I think that one of the biggest things I've learned is when to give up. Um, Ah. A lot of people talk about how you never give up as an entrepreneur, don't do it, don't ever give up. Well, you know, sometimes you you can take a company or an idea to a point that it is so detrimental to you and your family that it's really hard to come back from. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand your exit strategy, know when to implement your exit strategy. But, you know, you kind of hit on the $64 million questionnaire because with that don't give up, it's like, wow, if I waited another week, another month, perhaps this contract would have come in or perhaps this or perhaps that. How do you know that 
it is time. When you're out of cash, when divorce is imminent, I mean, does it have to get that drastic before you pull the plug? No, it doesn't have to be that drastic. And I I think part of it for me is I've I've had to do that a handful of times, so it's, it's easier for me to say than it is for me to actually do. You know, one thing about entrepreneurs is, um, we're very headstrong and very stubborn. Yes. So yes. it's hard to get us, if we think that we've got something, it's hard to get us to move away from whatever that something might be. So it's a matter of understanding who you are and, again, where you start and where you stop. Once you understand where you start and where you stop, it's a lot easier to determine how far you're willing to go. Okay, and you need to decide those when you open your doors. Is that the best no. time to, when's the best time? No, I mean, I, I, for me, I'm aware of it as I open the doors. So I'm aware of it, but it's also a matter of making sure that you have the right foundation underneath your company. Anybody can open the doors, so to mm-hmm. speak. But what, they, what, what a lot of people don't understand, I think where a lot fail, is that they don't get that foundation under them. So they can't monitor cash flow appropriately. They don't, they don't forecast growth. They, you know, there's a lot of things that they don't do that corporations do well that entrepreneurs don't want to have to do because entrepreneurs don't typically want to be considered corporate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, some, a, it's a matter of putting those two things together. Okay. So, yeah, a lot of entrepreneurs want to stay at the idea stage and the creative stage and uh, so forth, and you really, that foundation, the, the blocking and tackling and the nuts and bolts uh, that build that foundation are, are just as important. There has to be a really good balance mm-hmm. there. What do you think, um, if you had to start all over again, and I know you've talked about how you've been doing this for so long that sometimes it's hard to remember, but if you had to to do this over again, would you change anything? And if so, what would it be? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change anything. I've, Like I said, I've done this enough to know the ups and downs and, and where I start and stop and the gaps that I need to be filled. And I think for once in my career – I'm actually on the right track. Okay. And when it comes to making important decisions, you know, there used to be the thought, well, he's still around, uh, but he's he's not as, as public-facing as he used to be. And he said, used to say, I carry a pair of dice with me. And when I have to make a really important decision and I can't get off of the fence about it, I think of a number in my head, I roll the dice, and depending on, you know, the number I picked in the dice roll, that's that's – I go this way or that way and, and make that decision. So when you have to make an important decision and you're being pulled in a couple different directions, do you go with your gut or your intellect? Um, well, it depends. If it's a decision that I've got time to research it and make sure that whatever that decision would be would have a positive impact on the company, my intellect. If it is something that has to be done immediately, it's my gut. Okay. Yeah. And Joe always said, you know, if I make the wrong decision based, because I said, you really, you make a decision based on the roll of the dice. And he goes, you're missing the point, Kelly. He said, Mm -hmm. it gets me off the fence and gets me going in a direction. I can always change course. I can always make adjustments. But, you know, sitting there not doing anything is is really worse. So, uh, yeah. It's okay to be wrong. I mean, plan on being wrong. Plan on being wrong 99% of the time. So, nice job. You know, based on your own experiences, what advice could you give our listeners today for overcome? We've been talking about decisions here for overcoming a bad decision and moving forward. Uh, overcoming a bad decision and moving forward. I mean, a lot of your decisions are probably going to be bad. 
It's just the way that it works when you're starting something new. So if you dwell on them, it's going to have a negative impact on your company and a negative impact on the people that surround you that are looking to you as a leader. You have to move forward. There is not an option. Yeah, absolutely true. Just to keep on going like that. Now, what's in store for Damascus Edge? Where do you see yourself going? Well, we will be making a lot of changes, not just internal, but to some of our processes. And we're building a couple of really cool platforms that I think that we'll see in the marketplace in the the near future. So hopefully next time we we talk, Kelly, uh, I'll have a little bit more information that I can give you. Yes, and I'll look forward to when we do that. If someone would like to get in touch with you, uh, your services are intriguing and they're very needed, obviously. You can save people a lot of grief and possibly help them make a lot of money, too. How would they get in touch with you, Brandy? Well, they can go to our website, which is www.damascusedge.com, or they can email me directly at brandy, B-R-A-N-D-I, dot beach, B-E-A-C-H, at damascusedge.com as well. Okay, so you can go out to the website, damascusedge.com, or email Brandy directly at brandy.beach at damascusedge.com, and that is Brandy with an I. It's been wonderful talking with you today, Brandy, and listening to you share your business wisdom. There's certainly a lot of that, and we'll look forward to chatting again and learning about all the changes that you're making. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Kelly. I appreciate it, and we will talk soon. Absolutely. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.